Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Victor Mark Show. Uh, listen, we're continuing a conversation we had yesterday between my uh, friend Chad Show and myself. Uh, listen, we've discussed his background as a Marine, his incredible position as an MMA fighter, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Today, we're going to touch base a little bit about his PTSD challenges that he's had. <laughs> I can relate. And we're going to talk about his nonprofit, Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, and a couple of his books that have made a real impact in helping people. And then now how he's serving active duty and veterans as well. So if you want to learn more about Chad, just visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. That's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Now let's get into the show on this edition of the Victor Mark Show. Hey, Chad, welcome back to the program, brother. Good to be back on. That's the last time we talked about really a current issue of uh, what's going on in Afghanistan and, you know, your position. And I tell people, if you really want to know what's going on, what has happened, listen to yesterday's program. And you shared with us the active mission you're doing to get out of that country, your Terp and his wife and six children, who right now are having to move and groove and hide from the Taliban, which are actively hunting him. And, you know, a couple of things that just, you know, breaks her heart. One, she had to have a, was it, what type of emergency surgery in somebody's house recently? In the middle of all this, her appendix, you know, uh, emergency appendix deal, in the middle of all this. I've had that done, so I can't imagine that that ain't fun uh, And and as you're on the run. And the second thing, you said if they capture them, they'll cut his head off but they'll probably do it to his children first. So he experiences the, the pain. That's what the Taliban, you know, is history of doing, you know, they, they take, they take a, a man and they'll make him observe his family being, you know, beaten, tortured, maybe even raped in, in front of them. And then, uh, and then killed in front of them, uh, before they kill them. Yeah. So you, folks, you see why, what we call the manifestation of evil in some groups, why they should be stopped and um, why we do what we do as a military nation and intelligence groups to, to stop this spread of evil so it doesn't come here. But uh, again, I encourage y'all to listen to yesterday's program so you can understand and know how to pray for this situation. So Chad, today, you know, you, you have an incredible background. You're an you're the epitome of overachiever. I mean, if I looked it up, boom, here's a brother that has done above and beyond. I mean, you're a one percenter in the one percenters. And I say that as a compliment to disciplines, self, you know, sacrifice, and as we call it, embrace the suck. But you've accomplished what few men have. And, and honestly, what some movies are made out of, which you have a book that they're turning into a movie. But with all that said, You've struggled with post-traumatic stress. We've struggled with it. Uh, Kind of give our listening audience to those watching kind of an idea because all they see is 
you know, super stud beast mode, but tell them about the real challenges you've had. Well, first of all, I'll say that, you know, I do have a, I do have a pretty lengthy resume and some great things. And, you know, I probably even look, consider myself overachiever, but when I look back at some of those things now, I don't see, I, I see uh, someone that was very discontent for a very oh. long Yeah. That's what I see. And it kind of hurts to say that, like, like, uh, you know, like I was pursuing, achievement after achievement after achievement because something was missing inside of me mm. that I couldn't really put my finger on. And that's, that's uh, so there's a lot of things I'm proud of, but then I look back at that and this, my motivation wasn't always something I was proud of. Yeah. We, we call that being driven, right? We're, we're, we're driven, not led by God's spirit, but those are those days we were driven. Yeah. That's then that, you know, that, that hole I was trying to fill was, you know, a God shaped hole that all those accolades and successes couldn't have filled, you know, been filled with anything, but God, it took me a long journey to find that out. And you know, part of that journey was answering that question you have is about dealing with PTSD, you know, PTSD and, and veteran suicide is a big issue right now. Uh, after 20 years of war, we're seeing, you know, over 30% of our, of our veterans who have served being diagnosed with PTSD, dealing with debilitating panic attacks and anxiety and depression, all these things, which leads to, and in the worst cases, suicide, which was still over 20 suicides every single day in our veteran community. And, Bases like Camp Pillon, combat veterans there, over 80% divorce rate. Uh, so a lot of problems that face our military. I certainly was not exempt to those things and faced those. My family and I faced those head on. When I came home from my eighth and last deployment, you know, as I mentioned uh, in your previous episode, you know, I lost you know, 15 friends over my time deploying, uh, 10 of those being Afghans, probably the closest ones to me, uh, aside from Foster Harrington, who was, we served together for 10 years before he was killed on our first deployment, I, I came home diagnosed with PTSD, dealing with debilitating panic attacks, anger, frustration, uh, hopelessness. Uh, and those things, you know, begin to manifest before I actually came home. And I tried to hold it together for quite some time. Uh, I first started to notice in really uncontrollable frustration and anger. Um, I come home and I, you know, my family be sad, excited to see me and I, I, it's, it's shameful to say, but I, you know, act like a lunatic, you know, throwing temper tantrums, punching holes in the wall, slamming doors, yelling at my wife and children like I was a Marine Corps drill instructor. And one time I came home from Afghanistan and my little girls so excited that's going to be home for her birthday party. And, and I, uh, I remember, you know, she's like celebrating my, my daughter's like your typical, like stereotypical, uh, self-proclaimed princess for, for yeah. you know, like she's, and she's like, you know, she celebrates a half birth. I didn't notice that such thing at a half birthday until I had a daughter. But it's a, my point being is like birthday's a big deal to her and dad's going to be home for her birthday. And, and, uh, she's very opinionated and she didn't like the icing on her cake. Something super simple. She's even more opinionated now. She's 22. She <laughs> liked icing on her cake. And I just flipped out and I grabbed a handful of my little girl's birthday cake and picked her cake up and threw it against the wall and destroyed my little girl's birthday. And I, you know, that's just one example Unfortunately, how I behaved all the time. I mean, my wife and I were talking just the other day about, you know, when they were in traffic and I just came over from Afghanistan like a day or two. And she said something, my kid's in the back seat, my wife's driving, I'm in the passenger seat. And whatever she said, I just like lost my mind. I started kicking in the dashboard. She tried to drive off and because we're at an intersection, I'm trying to kick the shifter off so she can't drive. And my kids are screaming in the back seat, and I was just really out of control. And, and, uh, and at that time, you know, I really try to justify my behavior and anger because I'm like, I have to be this way. I have to be violent. I have to be mean. Like I have to be able to do that to be my job, do this job. And she's trying to be like this strong woman of faith. And I'm like, there's no, I can't do that. Like 
I can't be a person of, of faith and be and be this like Christian guy that you want me to be and be a warrior at the same time. I thought the two couldn't coexist. Right. And, and you and I know there's no bigger lie of the enemy than that for men yeah. that, that you can't be masculine and be a Christian. You have to choose between your masculinity and Christianity or, be, or your faith. And it's just such a lie. But many young men. By that lie. Yeah, believe that. I mean, and I, and I believe that. I believe that two couldn't coexist. Now I know there's no more stronger people in the battlefield of combat or life than men of God. But without knowing that, I intentionally removed God out of my life, left a giant hole in my heart that I feel with anger and rage and hate and bitterness. And, and uh, darkness really took over me. And, and, uh, and that, that anger started to manifest these physiological symptoms over time that I never thought would happen to me. Those problems got much worse. I started having uh, during really intense moments. I'd have like moments where I felt like I was in a fog, like I wake up out of a dream. And then I started having these during the really most intense times in Afghanistan, like what's called disassociation, where your minds feel separate from your body, like you're almost like I'm playing a video game. And, um, and you know, I, I just, uh, the wheels started to fly off. And, and when I finally uh, had went on this last operation, this is after those Afghans were killed, uh, which, by the way, I, you know, I feel like if I was hanging on by a thread when we lost those guys, that thread was broken. I went on one more operation and I was like, when I came back, I felt like I woke up out of a dream and I couldn't remember most of the most critical things. And I said, man, I'm not just putting myself in danger. I'm putting everybody in danger. And, and, and right. uh, so I finally spoke up and said something, came home, was diagnosed with PTSD. I was dealing with debilitating panic attacks and, and, uh, and I was so ashamed because I felt like I worked my whole life to make it to this job. And, and now, you know, making it to, in the Marine Corps is a big deal for me. And the recon, and the force recon, and then they get the JSOC. And then I was part of this really kind of select team to go do this incredible, what I thought was the most incredible thing I could ever be doing in my life. And, uh, and, and it was like if I played football my whole life and made it to NFL, which would never happen because I'm five foot, you know, four, but, but uh, five foot three, really. But uh, now, but you get the point, right? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I would have never, like, uh, you know, worked my whole life to, to make it there. And I'm in the Super Bowl, the game winning play. And I, and I, I dropped the ball. Right. And so I was ashamed. And uh, the level of panic attacks, you know, I know you've experienced them before, but the only way I know, really know how to describe it to people, because sometimes I hear people say like things like, I was in traffic the other day and I had a panic attack. And not minimizing someone else's experiences. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, like for me, it's like, imagine being like handcuffed at the bottom of a swimming pool and drowning. And, there you go. And you, you, That's a good way to put how, it. Like how much panic would you be to get one breath of air? But you never drown. You never die. Right. Like twenty four seven. This imminent, like you. It's almost like you're on fire and you're trying to run to escape. You, you like somebody says stop, drop, and roll, and you stop, drop, and roll, and you're still on fire. So you get up and start running. Like it just doesn't end, right? And uh, right, it's worse than reality. I've told people, you know, being shot at, you get used to that. Being mortared, whatever. You're not having panic attacks during that. You know, you're all focused and centered and like, oh, I'm breathing good. It's when we get home, we're trying to process it. But why? Why do people who we're, we're talking military, but it could be any type of trauma, what is happening physiologically? Why does that happen? What I've discovered is in contrast to what the clinical definitions would be, which is the body's normal response to an abnormal situation. So my body's responding normally. You could also say if my body's responding the way it was intended and designed to respond to abnormal situations, things we were never intended to see or do, uh, things we were never intended to be a part of. If, if we are responding normally to that, then we're not disordered at all. Our body's doing exactly what it was created to do. 
uh, and that's to survive. Uh, and our limbic system stores historical responses to traumatic events and gives us a, a physiological response to it to either one, operate better for survival, uh, or, or two, avoid us from getting in those situations again. Uh, they call it the four F's, fight, flight, feed, or fornicate, right? You fight to yep. survive, you feed to survive, you fight, run to survive, and you fornicate for the reproduction and survival of your species. These are all like primal instinctive properties. And, and you could train yourself through uh, like in your forward brain, you can do things through repetition over and over and over again. Uh, Bruce Lee, famous martial artist says, okay. you uh, tr learn it until you forget it. You do it over and over and over again until it goes to your limbic system. You never think about it. You just do it. But the other way to put something in your limbic system is through one single traumatic event. The human body is incredible. Uh, the way God designed us is incredible. We experience one traumatic event, and it's your limbic system uh, stores this event to protect you from ever experiencing it again. If you were driving through down, you know, Jalalabad Road in, in, in uh, Badakut, Afghanistan, and, and you pass, you, you and your four friends are in a Humvee, and you pass a little red Corolla, and it explodes, and, uh, and all your friends die, and now five years later, you're back home, and you're driving down Main Street, Bales of Iowa somewhere, and you pass a little red Corolla, and all of a sudden, your heart starts to beat fast. You have trouble breathing. Uh, your, your, your blood comes out of your limbs into your, your vital organs. You're not disordered. Your body's doing exactly what it was designed to do. And if, and if you medicate yourself with 50 pills a day, which we're seeing, you know, 43 is the most I've seen. We have an average of 20 pills a day for our guys that come to Mighty Oaks. Uh, if you medicate yourself that way, you're never going to heal because the body has an incredible way to recalibrate. So you can drive past that, get past that panic attack and, and recognize your body, your brain recognizes that that wasn't a threat. That little red Corolla didn't explode. You do it again and again. The body has an incredible way of recalibrating. Now, I'm not against medications. You know, not, you and I both know that yep. there's not yep. a place for medications. There's a place for it. But if medications are only part of your plan, it's a terrible plan. And so medications for me, uh, when I first came home, made me feel like I was going to die. I, I, thought, I felt like the medications was going to kill me. I was terrified of them. Yeah, I've, I've been through it as well. It, what you just explained in such a concise, effective way has changed the perception of people I'm telling you tens of thousands right now. They just listen to watch sits and they're going, I didn't know that that's what that was really all about. And thank you for, for sharing that. And now it, you've taken this a whole step further with your foundation and organization ministry to help guys who are struggling in different ways. But you have an incredible, folks, I can, I can say this with complete certainty one of the highest success rates of helping people work through very bad challenges and issues and PTSD, saving marriages and preventing people from killing themselves. Tell us about your organization because now people are going to want to know. So I don't know how much time we have left, but I got I to tell you how we got there to start. No, you're good. So when I, when I came home, uh, I tried everything. I tried the pills. I tried the counseling. I tried the MMA and Jiu-Jitsu. During my time home is when I dove into that and, and uh, won my world title and, and had a lot of success there. And uh, but none of those things worked. And it ended up with me uh, separating from my family in relationships with other women and uh, finding myself in a position to come to this conclusion that my family would be sad without me, but they'd be better off. Uh, you know, I thought the damage I caused to my wife, my children, they'll be sad without me, but they'll be better off. And that same hopeless thought finds a home in the hearts of 20 plus veterans every single day. And I made a decision I was to take my life. I would sit in my closet my apartment with my Glock 22 pistol, a 40 caliber pistol. And I put my family pictures on the floor around me and try to build up the courage to, you know, 
to pull, pull that trigger. And the one thing that get, made me pump the brakes every time is when every time I put that gun to my my head, and I'd even like take the time to get the angle right because I didn't want it to be fast and thinking through it that detail. But every time that gun would touch my head, I believe God gave me this vision that I would I would say like, who's gonna find me? Somebody's gonna hear the gunshot. I'm gonna be missing. Oh wow! Somebody's gonna find me, and I'd see that play out. And the only other person that had a key in my apartment at the time was my son Hunter. Oh. And so that was like enough to pump the brakes. But I was in such a dark place, I'd be back at it again the next day, and and uh, trying to build up the courage to do that uh, that you know final uh, yeah really a permanent solution to very temporary problems. Right. And uh, and it was one of those moments that I heard a knock on my door. I wasn't gonna answer it, but then my wife announced herself, and when she did, you know, went to the door. We got this big argument. I don't know what we're arguing about. I know I was just mad that she was there. Get this. I was mad that she was there interrupting me from killing myself. Uh, yeah, exactly. So irritated by her. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? Like, just yelling at her. And in the middle of this argument, she asked me, you know, how can I do everything she saw me do in the military? We met when we were 17. We just celebrated our 26. Well, so, congrats. Thank you. Uh, in Jamaica, it was awesome. I know. I, <laughs> I liked the post. I was like, yeah, buddy, get it. <laughs> So, you know, like, she's like, how could you, like, do everything you did in the military? She saw me become a recon Marine, which, you, you know, 80% insurance rate. She saw me yeah. like, go through all these schools and deployment workups and all the stuff we do in Afghanistan, train for these MMA fights and cut, like, 30 pounds. Like, I'm not a big guy. Like, look like I'm a Holocaust victim. Like, bones in my face. Like, the discipline she saw in all those things. She's like, how can you do all of that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. Mm. You know, there's no mm. soul-cutting word to me to be called a quitter. And, uh, and, for, and, for me in that moment, I'm kind of radical decision maker. And I'm like, yeah, she's right. I've been successful professionally. All those things you said when you introduced me, but became the most important things, being a husband, being a father, being a young 17 year old kid that raised his hand and said, I'm gonna do something important in my life. I quit all those things, including my will to live. And so I made a radical decision in that moment that I was gonna get better. Uh, I knew I couldn't do it alone because we can't do it alone and we don't have to do it alone. Right. And I, I knew I couldn't do it with the people I surrounded myself by because I had systematically surrounded myself by everybody told me what I wanted to hear. And I would have needed mm. here. And she introduced me to a man at this church she was going to. And uh, his name's Steve Toth. And I remember sitting across from him and I'm telling him how I was going to, I had a five paragraph order of how I was going to fix my life. And I'm like, like real proud of it. And like smuggling slid over to him, like, hey, check this out. Like, show it to my wife because I'm trying to win her back. And, yeah. And uh, he looked at that paper and he slid it back over to me and told me I was going to fail. And I remember like being like, who is this jerk? And, but he said, uh, he said, Chad, like, if this plan doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to let you waste mine. Wow. And uh, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Because like I said, I had tried everything. And in that decision, in that moment, I made a decision to surrender my life to Christ. And Steve mentored me for an entire year of biblical living after that. And what I discovered through that mentorship was that all these bad things that happened to me in my, my childhood, you know, you and I shared a childhood of physical abuse and, uh, and, and uh, things that happened, losing friends in Afghanistan and all these things that happened, as bad as these things were, those things didn't lead me to be in that closet with a pistol in my hand. What led me there were the choices that I made in response to those things. And I never lost control of the ability to choose. And now this guy, Steve, is mentoring me mm. in, in, in biblical living and how to choose differently in spite of what happened. I can't change what happened to me. Like the past happened. How do I respond to it moving forward? And I started responding intentionally uh, in a biblical way to the hardships of my life. And what I discovered was restoration in my brokenness, in my family. Uh, I found hope for the first time, and ultimately, I found what I sought my whole life, and that's purpose. And uh, and you know, we created that purpose. We have to have purpose. You wonder why veterans kill themselves? It's not because what we've seen or did. It's because a lot. You know, we had an important mission. 
we had a purpose and then we woke up and that was going. We have to have purpose, right? Mark Twain says the two most important days in a person's life is the day that they're born and the day that they find out why. And when Steve Tilth introduced me to life I was created to live, I feel like I found out the why. And it was to share what I had discovered with other warriors doing the same thing. It was like if I was dying of cancer and he gave me the cure, I didn't want to share it. I felt obligated to share it. And God put a deep burden on my heart to share that with others. And so we weren't even ready. Me and my wife were still bleeding as a, as a couple, but we felt a, a need to be obedient to that burden that God put in our heart. And we started Mighty Oaks Foundation. And over the last 10 years, we've done three, really three different things. We've done a resiliency programs where we go, I go to bases around the world and speak to active duty troops. Uh, I just found out this week that we just broke 250,000 active duty troops that I've spoken to at wow. bases around the world. And, uh, and given away about 150,000 copies of the, of the books that I've written. Amazing. And uh, and we get so many requests for these uh, resiliency events. Uh, I go to Marine Corps boot camp every quarter and get the Marine Corps lets me speak to them on spiritual resiliency. Nice. And, uh, and uh, out of the four pillars of resiliency, I get to speak on spiritual resiliency and give them a book called Path to Resiliency that helps them build their foundation as uh, spiritual. Great book. Yep. Great book. And then we do a recovery program, so a legacy program. We do a 35 one-week camps a year, followed on by aftercare program, which is biblical mentoring and aftercare for people that are really struggling and need that intensive. And we've had 4,000 graduates from that in the last 10 years, but we're doing about 1,000 a year now. And by the way, that's active duty, veterans, spouses, and first responders, and we pay for everything, including travel. And uh, we do about $3.5 million a year in programming. Uh, oh, we pay for everything. A grateful nation of people just really support us doing that. And then the last thing we do, and you, know, you and I have been involved in this together, is uh, we take the successes that we've had with faith-based programs and, and work and do advocacy work in D.C. to change policy. And uh, I've been able to testify to Congress, help pass some Senate bills, and uh, work with the president, last presidential administration to get faith-based programs back in the VA and DOD, including an executive order. And so those are the things that, you know, just some of the things that we've been doing at Mighty Oaks Foundation in the last 10 years. Folks, listen, if you want to get behind an organization helping veterans and active duty, this is it. There's no shenanigans going on behind the scenes. There's no fat pocketed people. So I just, I want to encourage people to go to mightyoaksprograms.org, sign up for the newsletter. And if God puts it on your heart, monthly supporters doesn't hurt y'all's feelings, right? Man, you know what, you know what's awesome about monthly supporters? It just helps you build the plan. You know, you, you know that from what you, you know, yep. supporting ATP, you can, you can plan, you know, even, even our bigger donors, like the people that write big checks and, you know, uh, it's just knowing what's coming next. I mean, yes, when they get quarterly or something like that, you know, it's, uh, it's really nice to know what's coming because we can plan because, I mean, the influx of applications that have been coming to us, uh, it's, 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 it's nonstop. It's nonstop. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see y'all double what you're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for uh, the future. And I'm glad that God has your hand to the plow doing that, brother. And I'm glad that we've locked arms. Uh, hey, before we close, we, we, we got to talk about your book. This came out last year. Tell us about this book and how people can get it. I, I mean, I've read it. It's unreal. If you read the first two paragraphs, you're hooked. I, I mean, I couldn't believe how it, man, how well it is written, but it is like sitting down talking to you and it keeps you, I mean, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. You did really well. You know, we hit number one bestseller on, uh, on Amazon and uh, President President Trump endorsed it. As you know, General Boykin wrote the forward to it. Alan West, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. It's in the Commonwealth reading list. 
we did really well with it. But one of the things that, uh, you know, it just really is, is personal stories from Afghanistan and biblical stories that helped, uh, helped me move forward in my life. And I want to share it with others. We have a 10 week study in the back. That's, that's free to, as a video study tied to it for free. If you can buy the book and then, uh, and then it's, uh, that, that 10 week workbook goes together And the cool thing about this book. It's scary to me, but it's kind of cool. They're making a motion picture film out of it. Yes. Yes. So tell them how they can get it. Uh, you, you can get it anywhere you can buy books. Uh, you can get well, Mighty Oaks programs that are going to buy it. Uh, you can go at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can buy books. You can find uh, An Unfair Advantage is the title. Unfair Advantage, The Unfair Advantage by Chad Robichaud. They can follow you on social media. They can go to your website. Again, MightyOaksPrograms.org, and I recommend do what I've done. Sign up for his newsletter. They're not pelting you with nonsense. It's good stuff. And once you see what they do and the lives are changing, support them monthly. Help them plan so that next year we can do double the amount of camps and, and reach double the amount of people who need help struggling with PTSD. And, uh, brother, thank you again. Love you, man. Hugs to the family. And uh, we will catch up to you soon. Love you guys. Pray, always praying for you, man. Bye-bye. Thank you. Vice versa. Hey, folks. Well, again, what a great second day on the broadcast. If you missed the first, go back. You've got to hear it. It's real time. What's happening right now in Afghanistan and uh, uh, a warrior's perspective and a call to action to help someone that's helped him and kept him alive, a hero that we want to see uh, he and his family saved, rescued, and got out of that country before the Taliban catches and kills them. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and do it for the glory of God. Now go get it done. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.